welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 2. With your host, Byron Rogers, this podcast is dedicated to the Executive Protection Practitioner, the Private Security Professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective Executive Protection Agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Yo, what's up, guys? Byron Rogers here for another episode of the Protected Podcast. Um... I've got an individual here with me today who he spent a whole entire lifetime in this game teaching people his craft. So it's an honor, an absolute honor to have have a conversation with him. I've got Tony Blauer here hanging with us for the episode. How you doing, Tony? Good man. I'm excited to finally connect with you. Your 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 enthusiasm and energy is infectious. So I, I've wanted to jump on a podcast with you and and just connect. This is great. I'm excited. Heck yeah. I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I try to share it, man. I think we're strong so we can make other people strong so we can give that, you know? So that's a big, good compliment. I appreciate it. Yeah. Heck yeah. So getting right into this really, um, I mean, I've seen you on like, uh, Funker Tact. I've seen you on all kinds of different things, just like spreading the gospel of, uh, what it is you do in terms of teaching martial arts and um, really basing it off of the human reflexology, from what I understand. Um, would you mind just going into a quick background so everybody knows uh, exactly who you are, what you're about? Yeah. So uh, where to start? Because it's it's been it's, it, this May, it'll be six decades. Craziness, right? I just, mm. uh, it blows my mind. Um, wow. I've, been, yeah, I've been teaching now since 1977 and uh i don't even want to ask what year you were born but uh <laughs> the, the uh so i've been doing this a long time and and always had a fascination with uh martial arts and fighting like when i was six seven years old the original green hornet and and uh, the original um wild wild west were on tv in black and white and I was, you know, glued to the TV and watching Bruce Lee fight and James West and just mesmerized by this shit, you know, and it was, and the choreography back then was shit, right? It was like, you know, like <laughs> Churian candidate, you know, like a shootout chop and the guy would fall down and <laughs> crappy front kick and the guy would flip. I mean, it was horrible choreography, but there was something that captivated me. Mm. Uh, as an athlete, I played a lot of sports, but I was always super afraid of competing. I wasn't afraid to show up and I wasn't afraid to try hard, but I didn't enjoy the experience. I was so afraid of, am I good? Am I bad? Am I going to let down my parents? Am I going to let down my coach? What if I win? What if I lose? And, uh, and I share that because part of my journey that I'm going to share with your listeners is the system that I developed to 
differentiate between the physiology of fear and the psychology of fear. And that when we understand how to read the neural circuitry of fear, we can guide our decisions. We can, we can access critical thinking skills and improve our self-awareness. And I have a theory which, which um, directly plays into your audience and your profession. And that is mm-hmm. everyone talks about head on a swivel, yeah. you know, uh, situational awareness. But these are just buzzwords when you still see things like, like uh, when Schwarzenegger got jumped. You yeah. know, how, how do you have a guy running across a um, basketball court and then do a flying double move <laughs> kick? Right? right? It's like the slowest, most telegraphic thing. And and I could explain. I actually did something with my buddy Brian Black at, at Imminent Threat Solutions. Uh, where I explained the, the, the neuroscience and psychology of why they couldn't make a decision. And this is maybe going to get me a bunch of haters because everyone, like after, after the fact, everyone can be a hero. I'd have done this. We should have right, right. guys weren't trained. But, but I would submit, and this is the honesty and transparency of me as a coach, me as a researcher, that I would submit that if you and I were Schwarzenegger's detail, we'd have been late too. Yeah, no, that's, I'm with you on that. I see a lot of these and I, and I, I even comment on things and I'm constantly like, Hey, I'm not ever casting shade on these people because I've done the job long enough to know anybody can get caught. And there's like a human element there that uh, when, when, when there's that complacency and not even really complacency, I don't want to use any like uh, terms that would like uh, kind of, Uh, make them look bad, but there's like a human element there that I'm hoping you're going to talk about that uh, we're all, I believe we're all susceptible to. Well, it's, it has to do more with, and and we may run out of hard drive space on your computer and time and people fall more to me. The, there's so much. So in my, in my journey, that is now 43 years that I've been teaching, but I've been more importantly, I've been studying violence for 43 years. I've been studying human movement, fear and aggression and what it does to people. So we can get really good on steel targets and we can get really good with, with UTM and Sims and we could do all our, our training. But I always said this, and I said this in an interview with, um, SWAT magazine I was teaching years ago at the Smith and Wesson Academy in Massachusetts. And I got, uh, they came there to interview me and I said to them, this is like in the early nineties, I said, the litmus test isn't what we believe. The litmus test is what we see. Hmm. And what we see is CCTV. (laughs) That's the truth. If you think about the thousands of hours that are available to right. people to study, when do you ever look at, or how often can you look at uh, a, a real event, uh, a cop with body cam or dash cam in the old days, a uh, 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 military operator with helmet cam? When do you see classic dojo clean techniques in a real sudden fight? Ever. ever. Right? Ever. It and never, so- ever. So I've been saying this for decades. In fact, there was a time when, when my system, my methodology was cited in over 30 lesson plans at Fletzy at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Outstanding. Um, and that got pruned out of there because of politics and ego yeah. and like that. Uh, but there was a time when, when there was a 
serious breed of progressive trainers who, who this is just before 9-11, who came in there and they were really trying to like change things. Okay. And I happened to, they were recruited out of, uh, uh, you know, active duty law enforcement, like, and so rather than having academic instructors, they wanted people that actually arrested people. Well, a lot of these people, a lot of these people were trained by me and mentored for me for years. Right. Uh And, uh, uh, it's crazy. I was just on another podcast, um, the instructor round table where there was like, uh, you know, John Skidmore and all these like really like, uh, uh, you know, erudite, like instructors who did this and did that. Big boys. uh, and there were three other guys there and they were all, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it on your podcast. They were all mentioning things from my research and system with me on the call. That was now part of their nomenclature that they yeah. didn't realize came from me. They were like, <laughs> they'd be saying, well, we've been teaching students for years and I'm going, and I'm just sitting there totally cool. Cause I wanted to jump out like a little kid going, Oh yeah. Cause Tony Lambrea trained you. And Lambrea was a student of mine when he was a Pasco County's cop. And I trained him for like like two years, and then plus you required him, uh, uh, recruited him. He took over PTD, and but and so the whole and it was lineage. It was really crazy for me, but also <laughs> made me realize how fucking old I was. How <laughs> <laughs> many years I've been doing that? But anyways, I'm off yeah. on a crazy tangent here. But it's not so important to when we talk about let's say using the Schwarzenegger example because it's mm-hmm. it's one that a lot of people like really. Um, uh, are familiar jumped with. on and, and, and we're yeah. really negative about the guys. Oh, you know, you hired the wrong guys that haven't experienced, they shouldn't train. Right. Uh, and here's where I was going is that if you and I were on his detail, that I bet, and you're not going to want to hear this, but you're cool enough to accept it. I bet that he still might have been kicked and both of us would have been going, What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> and, and here's and here's how I explain this. So I created, down. I created, and like people don't want to hear that because everyone's like alpha male, right? Type yeah, a. like I'm impregnable, I'm completely untouchable. Yeah, he, you know, I would have blocked him when he came through. I would have picked up shorts. Judy, chopped him in the air, <laughs> suplex him off the ropes. Here's, here's the thing. Yeah, pain, pain is the mother of invention, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yes, sir. The like right now, we were just ambushed by an influenza strain, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's freaking out. And the government's probably doing the wrong thing, shutting down the economy. When you look at all the, the metrics and stuff like that, you can't, you know, the, 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 the impact on, and I don't want to get too deep into it, in, in, in future suicides, divorces, uh, uh, mental illness, social trauma, man. Uh, and, and then if this goes on too long, there's already been looting starting and shit like that and break-ins and robberies. If this Black goes- Friday on fleek, man. Black Friday on steroids. No, but it'll be, you know, uh, Black Friday meets the purge, right? Yeah, 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 there we go. <laughs> so, you know, when you when you look at that, and I, I, I read a really, really good article and I posted on, on my Facebook page a couple of days ago, but I'm using this more of a metaphor for protectors and metaphorically anyone listening to this, whether you're a professional or you're just a parent or an entrepreneur, you're a protector of yourself. You're a protector. I talk about, you know, we need leadership right now, but you need to lead yourself. Then you need to lead your family. Then you need to lead your team. Then you need to lead your community. And, and so 
But this all ties back to our ability to look at fear and manage fear. And I believe that if we change our relationship with fear, we change our life. Because fear throttles everything we do. It either, it's like, it's like the throttle on a bike. You either, you know, like uh, turn it down, right? And like, so you slow down because you're like, oh shit, am I going to make this jump? Am I going up this hill? Am I doing, or Mm -hmm. you gun it and you, and you go for it, but it can't be cavalier and it can't be just spontaneous. It literally has to be, do I understand what's on the other side of this? And, and I'm going through it. So when I talk about the Schwarzer example, and I talk about like, you know, the, uh, uh, the virus, mm-hmm. what I'm talking about is a stimulus that gets introduced too quickly will okay. always make a human being, not an asocial human being, but a, a uh, like, like a fully developed human being, psychologically sound body, mind, will okay. make us flinch at an emotional psychological level. And the flinch doesn't have to be physical. A lot of people think that is like, so, so, you know, if I walk, I, I gave this example the other day, if you're a bank teller and I walk up to you and I hand you a note and you look at it and you go, don't press the button. I have a gun. I'll shoot you in the face. Give me your money. This is a hold up. No shit. And you go, like, <laughs> you read it once. This is the teller's reaction. Watch me. I'm the teller. You read it once. You look up. You read it again. And then you go, fuck. Right. So <laughs> like, like, you don't go, oh, you don't flinch. So, yeah. if, so if a stimulus makes you stop breathing. Mm-hmm. Your ass get tight. Mm. You stiffen up and maybe slightly cant away from. So the teller goes, "Oh fuck!" So yeah. a, a single cell amoeba under microscope will move away from a pinprick. At a right. cellular level, we move away from danger. So this right. is all the stuff I started to research in the yeah. And I reverse engineered a scenario-based training pro- protocol. Plus the whole the whole spear system was you know I had to weaponize the startle flinch. Yeah, uh, and then. Out of that, Byron, which was super cool, and the greatest element of serendipity in all of this was this No Fear program, KNOW. I should have worn my T-shirt, but, but the KNOW, No Fear. Because you and I grew up thinking, no fear, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, and we get the, to- the T-shirts. But the reality is, fear keeps us alive. You don't run across yeah. the street without slowing down and looking both ways. Mm-hmm. You don't just shoot at somebody like without making sure that this is the right shot, the right person, person, what's the backdrop and all that. Yeah. So fear in the fear, when it's part and parcel of a well-trained person becomes a co-pilot instead of a backseat driver. The okay. untrained person, fear to them is a backseat driver. Be careful. Can't manage oh, here, don't do that. You're already sure you don't know where you're going. Do you have the right directions? And you're like, oh, fuck, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're oscillating. Yeah, when we change a relationship with fear, we change our life because now it's yeah. like, I got a fear spike. That means I got to learn something here. I got to do some research here. Anyways. Man. Like, no, 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 that's that stuff, that, that whole thing. If people didn't even take that and just like really plug it into life, like you just said, it changed your whole life. Uh, that, that right there is worth everything, man. That, you, I mean, if someone, you guys got to get that, like, even for me in my journey, I look at myself and like, I really believed that I wasn't afraid of things for a long time. And I really believe, you know I mean? It was all about bravery and all of this, but as, as I've gotten older and I've gotten, um, hopefully a little wiser, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, homie, you just are really scared of a lot of things and you manage it and it gets you into action. And it's like, uh, the most powerful driver of your behavior, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're constructive with this fear and it makes you do more legit stuff and makes you 
make yourself stronger than you need to be. And it makes you, you know, be healthy and work hard and stay up and focus. You know, it's this relationship with fear is everything. So I'm loving everything you're saying, man. This is church, right? (laughs) It's good stuff. I dig it, man. Listen, you said a key word there. You said you manage it. And that's the operative term there is, but there's a lot of, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I just posted something on Facebook for a course that we stood up during, uh, during the virus and during the long, and it's a, a two hour program online that my, my mobile team is putting out. And it's just really what is real uh, uh, situational awareness and how do you cultivate it? How do you, how do you uh, uh, improve it? Um, we use something called the three D's detect, diffuse, defend. It's kind of how I look okay. at it. I look at everything, detect and avoid, defuse and de-escalate, and a push comes to shove, defend. What's the name of your online course, man? What, what is it's it called? called? It's called the Essentials of Personal Safety. Done. Y'all, y'all got to look that up. <laughs> Feel free so, to plug away, man. I want yeah. everybody to. So, so, you know, it's just two hours long, uh-huh. but it's there's an element of what is real situational awareness and how does that connect to self-awareness? What do we mean when we say you're a human weapon system? Uh, and how do you weaponize the startup flinch? What are some simple drills you can do? And then, and then how to look at our system through scenarios. Uh, right. Scenarios being I'm at the ATM, scenario being I'm at the market now, someone's fighting over the last piece of, of meat or toilet paper, whatever the hell it is. Understanding how to, our big thing is how do we choose safety? And, and the notion of choosing safety is fascinating to me because a lot of people confuse it with playing it safe. And okay. so I would imagine that most of the people on listening to your podcast are go-getters. They're type A. They're either in the in, in your community or indirectly related. And so in terms of, of an element of compassion and what I said earlier, well, hey, I'm protected, but it's my wife and my kids, right? Right, right. And then there's an assumption that if I come home and I'm equipped and I'm going, hey, don't do this. I'm carrying here. I'm doing that. Get the dogs over here. Right, and they're right. just falling in line. Well, the reality is I'm not there all the time for them, but I'm not there in their minds. Mm-hmm. And the assault these days, especially, but the assault will always come first internally. The first okay. place you're hit is emotionally. Every person who lived to tell the tale, mm-hmm. talking about whether they're executive protector, whether they're military, whether they're cop, whether they're a soccer mom, whether they're a rape victim, a mugging victim, every, and I've interviewed thousands to put my program together. Every single one of them, Byron said, when I peeled the onion with them, yeah. they had a bad feeling before the attack. 100%. Absolutely. So that means that our intuition and our instincts act like a, an alarm system, a radar, but we're not taught, especially because we've been domesticated. We live right. in a bubble. We think, you know, I, I make it's the gonna joke. Happen. I tell, I, I make the joke all the time for years now. I've been saying, hey, you know, you're the first responder in your fight. And yeah. if you're on your phone texting and something happens and you've got your fucking phone in your hands, you will not have time to dial 911 even though you have your phone in your hands. That's how fast shit's going to happen. Yeah, right? literally. <laughs> so, literally. Like, how fucked up is that? Like you could actually go, okay, attack me, 911. And even, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And even yeah. if the cop wanted to be there and stop the threat, it's already no happened. And yeah. so you need, and so, you know, we have another course that we created uh, like, like decades ago, Be Your Own Bodyguard. 
this whole idea that that I can't afford you, Byron. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, my company's pretty successful, but I can't afford a full time bodyguard. Yeah. And so, you know, I said like, one of the things we tell people, I go like VIPs get issued bodyguards. Yeah. Their company's big enough to go. Hey, something happens to the CEO or to this person, so bodyguard. Oh, this this politician yeah, bodyguard. Watch um, your back. Yeah. But I but I make this. Uh, I guess it's not a joke, but I make this joke when I'm when I'm talking to the general public and people. I go, "Hey, how many of you have your own bodyguard?" And they're like, "No." I go, "But aren't you a VIP? Aren't you somebody's VIP? Like yeah, your or your wife or your husband?" And so, what do you really know about personal protection? And yeah. think about like a lot of the skills that you guys practice is to protect somebody else. You don't even realize the blind spot that potentially creates in yourself. So our program is about understanding you, me, mm-hmm. my wife, your wife, whoever, as a human weapon. What do we bring at a physiological level, at a, from a physics level, from a psychological level? How do, we, how do we like amplify all of that? And that's really what I've been building for decades. Wow, that's, I mean, it's a quality problem. Uh, you mentioned a few things, but before I even say that, one of the cool things about you, man, is you've been in the game so long that you have, you've been able to get, have that, uh, you got that thousand foot view of things, you know, <laughs> you know, you got some perspective on trash, you know, and that, that makes you a wealth of knowledge, man. There's a lot of depth there and layers. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're touching on things that I've, I've tried to, uh, like even understand inside myself with, um, you said situational awareness and self-awareness and their relationship. I feel like one of the hardest things is trying to get my, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the women and children in my life to take it seriously. But something bad can freaking happen any day. <laughs> so pay attention. And then you turn back around and they're like, you know, in their phone. <laughs> and I'm like, because I feel like they don't have the um, intellectual reference points we do of knowing like, nah, man, I've seen it happen before, you know. Hey, um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, um, a story with my, my two daughters, mm-hmm. and this is about, I'm going to say four or five years ago. So one's 22, one's 18 now. So they were like 18, 14 or 15 or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, they don't train with me, but they've been around me. They like, I do this all the day, even before the, the lockdown. I mean, I work out of my house for 20 years now, you know, I've had offices and stuff, but I end up, so they are always hearing me on the phone talking and like in their head, probably, they were, yeah. through osmosis, they pick up stuff, but I'm, I'm sharing this with you because like they never went to a specific, you know, Hey, you're coming to my situation awareness class and here are all the scenarios we're doing. And, yeah. you know, my daughter comes home from um, SeaWorld or whatever, whatever the parks are down here near San Diego. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, she goes, she goes, uh, yeah, some creep was following us at the park, me and Olivia. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, like I for sure he was following me, dad. Uh, I go, why didn't you like, like go into a bathroom and call me? Why didn't you? She said, uh, you know, um, she said, oh, because we lost him. I go like, you know, <laughs> are you just going to like, he goes, she goes, uh, I knew he was following us. And, uh, and she says, uh, she says, what I did is I pretended with my friends, like we stopped and I said, Oh, let's take a picture here. Now we saw him stop and it was crowded. 
She said, we saw him stop. So we knew he was following like three or four like teenage girls, right? Mm -hmm. And then I I pretended to take a photo. I said, let's get a picture here. And I took a picture. So I took a picture of him. So I had a picture of him in my phone. And like, like she's like 17 thinking I now have a picture of the guy if something happens to one of us, right? Yeah. And then she told her friends, I think there's somebody following us. And they went into the bathroom and they hung out there a long time. And then they came out, they knew what the guy looked like from the picture and he, and he wasn't there. And then they raced to their car and they took off, you know, not a perfect thing, but it, when she told me like she could have gone, if she was really feeling in danger, yeah, go to security, go to like, there's park security and stuff, call your dad, like whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was like blown away by how creative that was mm-hmm. to resourceful and to take a picture and to get like him in the photo. And, and uh, she said, I think he left after I took the picture because I made eye contact with him. And I kind of said, I have your picture. And when I looked at him and then we went into the bathroom, she, <laughs> you know, it was like, like she didn't say it verbally, but it was like, but, she gave him that. but it was like, got you. Right? <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> Is this a good selfie of you for your uh, arrest picture? Right. So, yeah. But I was like, I was like, so, so what I wanted to share with you with respect to you and worrying about, you know, the people that you care about Mm -hmm. that, that if we teach them things to memorize, they might screw up. But if we teach them how to read feelings, they will always have that option. That's why I, the biggest thing that I learned was when I started researching people and they would, because I was onto this, 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 um, my intuition, I call it the three eyes, instincts, intuition, and intelligence. That if you combine okay. instincts and intuition, whatever happens next is probably going to be intelligent. Like, how could you not have an intelligent outcome if you went, like, the, the two components of this next move is going to be instinct and intuition. Something that has kept our us alive. There's no whatever. dinosaurs around here. And intuition that's kept us alive, right? Yeah. And so early on, I started when I, I just intuitively started interviewing victims of violence mm-hmm. and, and I would listen very carefully and I started to notice a thread, like an overlap between victims and Victor and how they thought. Mm. So someone could be going, man, he was hitting me and I knew that he was going to kill me. And then I realized I didn't die. And then someone going, you know, and then he was raping me and he was doing this and I thought he was going to kill me, but I didn't want to die. And it was always like certain, like when there'd be an intersection of ideas. Mm. So, I knew to always do that anytime if I, if I, and I did this with pro fighters, I did this with um, uh, action sports, they, anything where somebody had like a near, well, that was close. Intensity. What did you, what did you, what was your brain thinking there? Because yeah. I knew, you know, that it, it wasn't just physical skills. Yeah. And, and uh, so it was fascinating. It was fascinating to me. And that was why, when I, I first created the first iteration of my my fear management program called Cerebral Self-Defense, The Mental Edge in 1987, 1988. That's, <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's, that's how long, that's when I had the first organized presentation. We did in 1986, we filmed for Panther Productions. Yeah. My panic attack videos for Martial Art World. There was five videos. And it was all on multiple assailants and scenario training and and... I mean, we were like just, just out of the box shit, but the first video, and this was filmed in 1986. The first video was all psychology. It was just me in front of a whiteboard and yeah. it was 
cerebral self-defense. So that's how long I've been exploring and studying it. I knew that that's what we need and we still need it. And it blows my mind that it's 2020 now and, and people not are common. still over-practicing the physical. In fact, I say this, that the pursuit of technique is the single greatest hindrance to spontaneity in a violent encounter. Mm. The pursuit of technique is when you look at gunfights, yeah. you have the trained good guys miss more than the bad guys and the bad guys don't go to gunsight or Blackwater or whatever they're called now or whatever. They, they don't go to the range and shoot. They shoot real people when they want to. Right. And, and they shoot this angle and this angle and this angle and they, and it's all, it's all the three eyes. It's, it's all fluid. Right. It's like, Oh, boom. And you know, um, and then the, the so some people, when they hear me say that this pursuit of technique is the single greatest hindrance of spontaneity in a real violent encounter. It's this blend between, do I have a skill set? Yeah. Do I, can I move my body quickly, but am I sudden? I define suddenness. So there's three types of speed that when I'm, when I'm mentoring and training and coaching, and most of my business is training trainers. I recognize, okay. I recognized this years ago that I got asked when I was 20, 1980, what do I want to do? Uh, by a venture capitalist who saw me teaching and said, wow, you like, I've done martial arts and you're doing something very different. Mm -hmm. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to make the world safer. And he's like, whoa, that's a little grandiose, don't you think? And I was like, why? But that was my, that was my thing is how to make the world safer. Yeah. 13 years later, I realized when I closed my school, the hardest thing I ever did and the best thing I ever did in 1993 was I closed my school. I used to live in Montreal, Canada. And I had a 6,000 foot facility there with you know, scenario training equipment, a ring, uh, all sorts of shit. But I, everything you dreamt about once yeah, yeah. upon a time. But I closed it to get on the road to try and meet different communities and influence different trainers because I knew what I had discovered like an archaeologist represented a truth that that people weren't weren't doing. We're still, and here we are decades later. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I can take two modern cops or two modern soldiers or two modern trainers and I say, um, who here knows how to get out of a headlock? And like everyone puts their hand up and I go, you two, show it. And one guy will go up and he'll go, uh, you attack me. And he'll bend down and put his head against the guy's sternum so he can put the headlock on. And I go, stop. I go, who here knows how to defend themselves uh, if someone grabs your weapon? Everyone puts their hand up. I go, okay, let me see you two guys do it. So they'll get a safe weapon. And one guy goes, do you want to attack me? And he goes, and he'll turn his gun side forward. And then he lets the guy grab his gun. And then he pins the hand. I go, stop. You're both practicing. And this is a metaphor for all techniques in the way 99% of the world practices. Here comes the big reveal. Oh my. Right, right, right. You got me on the edge of my seat. No. You know, you've heard of, of the 10,000 hour, 10,000, you know, year. Mastery 10, equation. Right. So Malcolm Gladwell made it famous. You know, Macklemore made it really famous talking in his song. But right, right, right. The, real, the real research was from, uh, I think it was a European researcher named Erickson. Yep. And, and there's some controversy about it. But the message is this. If you do something 10,000 times or for 10,000 hours, or for 10 years straight, you're going to get really fucking good at it. That one thing, yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, you know, one of my favorite maxims is careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. 
be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. And this has nothing to do with muscle memory. There isn't really literally muscle memory. A lot of people use that term okay. and I cringe and I, if really, I, why, I'll, what? I'll go, there's no such thing as muscle memory. You know? And they're like, what? They're like ready to fight you right there on the spot, man. What, what, it, what it is, is, is like, like neuromuscular communication. There's gotta be situational awareness and a trained skill that that's a, like a neurotransmitter that's been developed and a myelin sheaf that I don't even the whole neuroscience of it, but, <laughs> yeah. but the reality of you ever been working out and, and like doing some physical stuff and you don't have your gun on you, but yeah. you know, your body goes to buddy goes to grab you and, you like it and your hand goes back here to yeah. index the gun. That's not there. Yeah. Right. But there's no gun there. Right. So you're, you're reaching for it. It's not there. So people go, they innocently say that's muscle memory, but that's a trained response that part of your, your unconscious brain went to access that, but it was actually calculating things. But it, when I tell people like literally at like a biological, physiological level, there's no muscle memory. If you got a gun in your hand and I chop your arm off at a katana and it's on the ground, I could lie down in front of the gun and say to you, shoot me. And, it's not going to do this, right? There's no muscle. There's no memory anymore. In other words, in this goofy, morbid, cartoony example, your 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 skill set has to be there, and it's got to be connected to your situational awareness. Okay, for there to be something to happen, right? So it's it's an interesting thing, and it's a deep dive in, into something else. Okay. Yeah. Um, software but anyway, though, software I'm, over hardware. <laughs> And, and, and so this, and so this is, this is the reality of stuff. It's really careful, you, you know, careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. And, and so we come back to when I organize training, I'm telling people, look, this is an ideal skill set that you want. So you're going to practice it. These are the mechanics. Now we're going to do reps. Now we're going to put a little scenario application. Does this rep make sense to solve this problem? In other words, what are you practicing? And then what we do, we add a stimulus. This becomes the suddenness factor. We role play. And so we've got a whole protocol on, on, on how to, we call it, how to be a good bad guy. Because most people aren't good bad guys. Yeah. And, and in real life, threat discrimination is based on behavior. And so looking for easy targets. If your role player sucks, is lame or, or too sport oriented, you're not conditioning your brain to make good calls during pre-contact cues. And this okay. ties back to, okay, bring this back full circle to the headlock gun grab. Heck yeah. 10,000 hours. If you do 10,000 reps of this weapon retention move where you pin the hand, hit the radial nerve, break the elbow, do whatever you want, you've done 10,001 reps of letting somebody grab your gun. If you did 10,000 reps of how to get out of a headlock, you did 10,001 reps of letting somebody put you in a headlock. The most important part of the headlock problem is when the guy goes motherfucker and reaches for you. Not over here. This is, this is like saying, let me give you everyone listening to this. I'm going to teach you two skills. I'm going to teach you how to drop the hangman while he's got a rope and he's tying a, a knot and he goes, don't move. I'm not finished with the knot. And I'm going to teach you how to go wham and fucking hit him there. <laughs> there. Or I'm going to teach you once you got the rope around your throat 
and then try to hair out and does this. I'm going to teach you a cool fucking martial arty counter there where you flip your feet upside down, <laughs> pull a knife out of your fucking shoe and you cut the rope. <laughs> MacGyver style. Right. But you see that when you practice the counter, you leave out all the dissonance. That's the bad feeling before the attack. Right. And eliminate your reticular activating system from, from analyzing and, and memorizing all the pre-contact cues that lead up to a headlock or a gun grab or a sucker punch. Or you're a conditioned to like, it's okay. But you're conditioned to like, well, well, it's your like brain safe space. Your brain doesn't listen. <laughs> have, you ever see, have you ever seen the movie, uh, the, the documentary um, Ultimate Survivors by Caliber Press? No, I haven't. It sounds so it's, it's an old, old video. Okay. I've seen it. It's an old, old video uh, of interviews with cops who've lost their guns in a, in a, during an arrest and control. Okay. And all, they're either in a wheelchair, they're missing half their face, they're paralyzed. They're all, they all lost their guns and had it turned on them. Okay. And, and this is when I first started. And this is, again, instincts and intuition create, yeah. creating the inspiration for me to start to do this research. I watched that in the early nineties and everyone who was interviewed said he target glanced my gun and then he was on me hmm. and I was down as this and I lost control and then he shot me and then, and every one of them said that, but no one ever in any, in on. no one ever said they would notice that the thread that each one had. And so I started a weapon protection program, okay. not weapon retention, weapon protection. And I would tell people, like I would have police agencies call me up and they'd say, um, do you teach weapon retention? And I'd go, uh, well, you guys don't have a holster? <laughs> I go, weapon retention's your holster. And they're like, what? I go, your holster's the retention. If a yeah. bad guy's trying to grab your gun, you don't need retention, you need protection. And your yeah. fucking hostage rescue team, when you're the hostage, you better be 100%. fucking right? You can't be going, yeah, guy's killing me. How fast can you get it? Right? That's <laughs> not the way it works. Right. So anyhow, long story short, listening to that planted the seed inspired me. It was 1995. And I started a, a, a program um, where the first movement to start changing distance or engaging the threat was a target glance at the gun. And it's so genius and so simple. If you and I are facing each other right now and we're okay. working weapon retention uh -huh. and I go, I go, Byron, close your eyes. And you close, <laughs> right? And then I go, okay, keep your eyes closed, grab the gun. You're gonna go, I, I can't, I don't know where you fucking are. So what do you have to do to create eye-hand coordination to move in and grab my gun? You got to target, target glance that thing. So nobody can grab your gun without first target glancing. And it's a quick little look. Yep. Never would. And nobody includes that in their weapon protection program. So our, <laughs> our stuff. So we could be sitting here with a cop with his arms crossed or in this stinker position or in a nonviolent posture. And we do this. We stand here like this. And I'm going to pull my mic into view here like this. And the mic's the bad guy. And so we do. So we don't do. I'm going to let you grab my gun so I can fucking do Aikido and jujitsu on your wrist. I'm doing this. I'm standing here like this. I'm talking to the suspect or I'm talking in this case here. Uh, 
you know, it, it, the, the, the formula for this can be applied to protective service details. And I've taught that all over the world at oh, yeah. military level, uh, government level and private, where there's always a tell before an attack. Always. And here's the thing, folks. I get people who ask me, hey, what's, what's the counter to an ambush? And I go, there is no counter to an ambush. There's only a counter to an attempted ambush. Hmm. If you and I are standing I mean. here, <laughs> yeah. if you and I are standing here and then all of a sudden we both at the same time see a red dot on our heads. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we don't move. We both look at right. We're like going, dude, there's a red dot on your head. And you go, there's one on your head. And someone pulled the both. And these two assassins pull the trigger at the same time and they fucking know what they're doing. And it hits us in the fucking head. Guess what? The podcast yeah. is over. <laughs> exactly. There's no counter to an ambush. There's only a counter to an attempted ambush, which is in brackets, a failed ambush. So okay. now we see red dots. Thank you, Siri. Now we see red dots and we both move at the same time. Right. And it grazes our ear. Attempted ambush. Okay. Somebody walks in and he goes, aha, and he's got a gun in your face. And you're like, fuck. And he goes, click. Attempted ambush. Oh, good. A malfunction. Right. Okay. There's at a philosophical, people can argue all they want. Yeah, but this, I go, listen, philosophically for us to understand how to design scenarios and stress inoculate, we can only move when it's safe to move and it's only safe to move when you're alive. So there is no counter to a successful ambush. There's only a counter to an unsuccessful ambush. Yeah. Because the mission of the ambush is to kill you. (laughs) So if it, if it, if it happened, It's past tense. So, yeah. So I've had people say to me, you know, I got sucker punched in a bar. I got ambushed. What could I have done? I go, like, nothing. You were knocked out. A guy was snuck up behind you. Boom, hit you. (laughs) Sucker, but he got you. He got you. Like like nothing. A car ran into me. What could I do? Like, going to a defensive driving school wouldn't have saved you there. He ran a light. You were there, and you went, fuck, boom, you got hit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, but this changes our understanding of situational awareness and self-awareness. Okay. And uh, I didn't finish the thing with the mic, which I brought in here. I want to share that really quick. Yeah, absolutely. The mic represents the bad guy, right? Mic represents the bad guy. And I'm going to do like a, like a cop inside the reactionary gap thing here where I'm standing here talking to the guy and we would do drills. The nano moment he target glanced my gun, those hands came out. And my hands would deploy like a modern airbag, an organic airbag. And that's, ah. the, that's <laughs> but that's the basis of the spear system. Okay. Your body, your body, mind, the human weapon system will deploy what's called the startle flinch response. And this is the whole foundation of, of my system. Spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. It's the understanding the physiology, physics, psychology of pushing away danger. When a stimulus gets introduced too quickly, our hands come up to protect our head. If there's time and space, we push away danger like an organic airbag. As you catch up on that, you can sharpen that and make it more uh, progressive and more tactical. And that's what we mean by weaponizing the start of flinch. But what I started doing all over the world is I would teach cops and you would have like like people who, who are a little stubborn going, yeah, but what about this move? I got really good at this one. I go, listen, <laughs> Would you rather intercept a gun grab or be in a gunfight over your gun with a guy who's got his hands on your belt? Yeah. Like, would you rather intercept a headlock or counter a headlock? 
Like you're so far behind the eight ball. Come on, guys. Yeah. Understanding. You can't say head on a swivel, get left to bang and situational awareness and then practice everything on the right. Afterwards. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what people do. It's people true. Do they, go, they go, guys, remember, head on a swivel. Watch this. Be careful. Watch the hands. Put contact cues. Okay. Get me in a headlock. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it is. I'm not making fun of how to get out of a headlock. I teach that too. Right. But what we do is we explain Socratically how you got in the headlock, but we spend more time intercepting the ambush than we do countering it. That's true. It's a very deep paradigm shift. Uh, 100%. Because I think everyone's training to, for their, uh, they're all training out of that kind of worst case scenario mentality when the whole entire art form, I mean, to, the whole game is staying out of that situation in the first place. I mean, that's, I mean, with what, what I do with private security, the entire game is not getting in the bad situation. If you're in the bad situation, you right. failed yourself, failed your client, failed your team. You know? No, no. Philosophically, it's totally in line with, with any protective service EP work or anything like that. hundred percent. And, and I, and I, I, something I want the public to really understand is that whether you're working as a first responder or a private security professional, you really are your own protector. You need food, water, shelter, and you need to protect your stuff, yourself, your body, your brain, and your head. I mean, you got to protect your stuff. Um, and that, that's kind of why I do this, man, is to help everybody understand that. Uh, when you're, so if you're trying to get someone to really understand how to protect themselves, and, you're, and I'm talking clean slate civilian, grew up behind the orange curtain, has never even seen anything horrible except for on the news happen. You right. know, where do you even start? It, it, you know, it's, it's so simple. Like I, I've got programs for the, our Bureau and Bodyguard course and the Essentials of Personal Safety, the one we just launched uh, for Corona. Um, it's, we, everything is organic. We build... If I'm teaching somebody verbal de-escalation, I'm teaching mm -hmm. them how to use skills they already have, but applied for a scenario that they never thought they'd need it for. Mm. And so the ability to say, hey, hey, take it easy, calm down, get your fingers splayed, get your arms outside 90, try to diffuse and de-escalate. Yeah. They've used that, those body language, the tone, the concept in many other scenarios now they got to use it here against mm -hmm. somebody who seems violent. So what they need to, to, to switch gears and move there is how to manifest courage. So a big part of what we teach is understanding fear, understanding the psychology of fear versus the biology and physiological changes fear induces. I've talked to so many people over the years who don't realize that sweaty palms and shallow breathing and vertical breathing and butterflies in your stomach and <laughs> starting to sweat. Those are physiological changes, but they have nothing to do with your skill set that anybody at any trained right. level, depending on the type of stimulus might undergo those things, but the super yeah. trained person. So we ask people like in our training, what's the difference between choking and freezing? Is it just semantics choking and freezing? Like you got to do something and you don't. Did you choke oh, okay. or freeze? So I tell people the untrained person freezes, the trained person chokes. They let the pressure get to them. It's right. not. If you know what to do and you don't get your gun out or you don't jump in between the threat and the principal, it's because if you're trained, 
it's because you choked, which means that you had never done the proper type of scenario-based training to create that adaptation, the stress inoculation. But more importantly, uh, you don't understand how to manage fear. Because, listen, if there was no fear. Got you. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I said, like, like fear, fear can create this hesitation because you look at it as, as part of the enemy. Dan Millman, do you remember the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Dan Millman, the author of that, he said the greatest quote ever. I love it. And I, I hate him for it because <laughs> I, wish, I wish I fucking said it. It's so <laughs> That's the truth. But, but, uh, but a true professional credits a source. Yep. And, and Dan Millman said, if you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you are outnumbered. Done. That That's awesome. so good. If you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered. That's two against none, right? You do not believe that you have the skills or the ability or the resilience or the courage to, to move forward. And that will create hesitation. And in our whole fear management protocol, we tell people doubt creates hesitation, hesitation creates fixation, and fixation unchecked can turn into anxiety. So the type A, the Marine, the soldier, they're not going to have anxiety like like a, like a civilian and untrained person. That's the choke freeze. But they're the book Fog of War. What's that about? That's about trained people who can't shoot when it's time to shoot. They shoot high. They shoot low. They don't shoot. Mm -hmm. and, and the impact. And this is you look at at, at the the uh, amounts of PTSD around the world. Oh and, yeah, and that's going to go up with what we're dealing with now. Yep. You know? So I tell people like the most important thing, if you said to me, Hey, Tony, uh, you got your human weapon system course, all about weaponizing the start of flinch. That's the most important thing because in a, in an attempted ambush, there's going to be a micro flinch and I've got to move towards the threat. I got to learn that. Or I'm very interested in your fear management. And I had to pick which one to teach you. I would pick fear management. Because I can teach you the other stuff, but if you, we have a maxim, if you're scared shitless, unconscious or dead, you're not going to get your next move. So whether you love, <laughs> love jujitsu or taekwondo or Thai boxing or MMA, it doesn't matter. If you're scared shitless, you're not going to the tournament. If you're scared shitless, you're not going to the sparring night. If you're scared shitless, you only train with people that you think you can hold your own against. Yeah. So you see this all over the place. Everywhere. Whether it's jujitsu or an Olympic lifting tournament or wrestling or, or public speaking. I, I got asked, uh, I've been speaking for, for decades. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of public speaking. I fucking enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But I went to do a talk before this whole, uh, Corona, Ebola, swine flu. I don't remember where it was. I was actually in Europe, but it was like, uh, I was there and there were like 50 trainers in this room and their chief constable is coming in to meet me and give me some plaque. And in fact, it's right over here. Here's the plaque. Da -da -da. Da -da -da -da. They'll be happy you have it right there in the office. Well, you know what? I just literally came back when President Trump locked out Europe. Shut I it was, down. I was there for two weeks. Ah. Came here. I just finished my quarantine on Friday. So, mm. um, but, you know, I'm over there. And uh, I was like really nervous walking in to go teach, to go talk to this, this group. But I had three of my trainers there. And I yeah. said to people like, I'm not afraid to talk, but the, the energy, the vibe, what was going on in uh -huh. Italy, 
everything. Uh, you know, were there people sick there? I, all the shit. And I always want to do a good job that right. I found myself, like my heart started racing. I had butterflies in my stomach. If right. I didn't understand that that was the physiological response to the anticipation of a, an important event. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, and this is what you said earlier, going back an hour when it was, when you said you manage your fear. Is yeah. I could have easily gotten up there and went, I am totally here to talk to you about fear, right? But I- <laughs> That would have been so good considering right. it's the subject and everything. Right, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's owning it, but knowing it's, I, I call these malfunction metaphors. Hmm. It's like, if you don't know how to clear your malfunction in your gun, you're like, click. And you're like, (laughs) but if you know how to do it. So to me, if I'm an inconvenience versus a catastrophic meltdown, (laughs) but exactly. But so if I go in somewhere and I go, wow, like I'm so I I had it the other day. I did a big, I had 60 people on a zoom call Mm. on Friday. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm so fucking nervous for this call. And she's the ridiculous. How could you be nervous? You're like the, like a fear management fucking expert. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's, you lean into it. Human. Wow. This is cool. I'm nervous because I want to make a difference. I'm nervous. I want everyone to get this. I'm nervous because, you know, and, and so that's a simple example of how you can change fear. And instead of it being the backstreet driver going, you know, uh, don't miss your turn, motherfucker. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. wrong way. Right? Now it's your co-pilot, and it's going, dude. This is awesome. You know, heck yeah. No, I um, I talk about this concept called perceptual empowerment. This is the same type of thing where it's like, you know, just through your perspective and your perception and your paradigm, obviously, you can really turn these negative things into positive things. And you can be like, yeah, man, I feel the nerves. I feel the fear. I'm going to fight harder. I'm going to do better. You know, I'm going to get up earlier next time, you know. And just by changing the way you're thinking about it and the way you're looking at it, it makes all the difference in the world. And that, and that, I mean, to your point, I'm just echoing you really. And that's the difference between the professional and, and kind of the, the trained and untrained individual. The trained individual sees the malfunction and it's just like, dang, now I got to clear this. You know, you're getting ready to go up on stage in front of those folks and you're like, I understand this. And it's really what a lot of psychology is where it's like, we just need to have a conversation so we can pull these components of behavior or thought process into the light of your consciousness so we can really analyze them, understand them and we don't get curbed by them. <laughs> you know, it gets just, it's not a catastrophic meltdown we experience them, you know? Um, that's no, no, it's uh, it's it's the same stuff. There's there's uh, some people figure it out, like you obviously have, and you you have a healthy relationship with your fear because you're using it to, and and there's like entrepreneurs that do that, and other people who you know I've got friends who who are successful business people that their fear message is uh, you need fear, you need fear to survive, right? Yeah, and. Uh, you know, semantically, it's the same thing. When I say no fear, K N O W, it's you need to get to no fear. To like make intimate it, with it, right? It's yeah, you know. And so it's changing these these play on words are very potent. If you know, I, you know, I talked about the other day this idea of no doubt, spelled K N O W. 
Mm-hmm. That if if I say, Byron, meet me over here, we're going to do this, we've got this detail, we got that, and you go, whoa, dude, you, like there's a moment of doubt. That's the moment that should proceed. We need to research this more. Yeah. Not, no, no, come on. Just like, you know, so the moment of doubt should be the cue. Indicator, yeah. Yeah, that's the pre-contact cue that like, hey, like we don't have all our ducks in a row here. Right. Um, and because you don't want somebody charging into a room or following you in in business, in a relationship, you know, if there's doubt. And most Absolutely. people most people don't have the self-awareness to how many times have you said to uh, your better half or a colleague? I go there all the time. I can look at my wife. Body language is 60 percent of communication. Right. I look at her and I go, hey, what's up? Nothing. <laughs> how you doing? How you I go, doing yes. OK, so we'll find, we'll find out in three days what's up. Right. It's like, yeah, you can just tell me now or I'll, we'll wait. <laughs> but it's, it's that like, I can see the doubt, but until they reconcile and figure it out. So what we want, and if we come back to uh, kind of like, like a, like a, a, a an essential directive to mm-hmm. self-actualization, to becoming the best version of yourself, or okay. if you're working with a team is that, Whenever there's doubt, we need to have this transparent agreement that goes, hey, I'm, I'm not sure about this. Because that doubt is part of fear. You can't, have, you can't have doubt if there's no fear. So you need a map to understand and look at fear. And that's, and that's really what the program is. It's a strip map of the neural circuitry of fear where you can look at it. And you plug it in and, and you go, what the fuck is this? Okay, now we move from an emotional defensive perspective to we're looking at something on an iPad or a, or a, or a grease pad or a fucking whiteboard or whatever. Yeah. And, and we're going, well, I got this erroneous belief here. Oh, yeah, but I thought this. And, I, and you work it out. Um, Heck, yeah. And, uh, and what happens on the other side of that is, is education. And here's a big thing that I want to tell people that this, I, this notion that when you get to a certain level, you don't have fear. I alluded to this earlier in our call. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I tell this, I tell this story in every podcast and I'll share it here. So I don't not standing. It, I was down at Fort Bragg years ago, um, working, working with a, a unit down there, met them a couple of days early. I'm at a coffee shop with two of the operators and one of them says to me, hey, do you want to go uh, jumping later today? And I knew he meant skydiving. But yeah. I, I said to him, like, jumping up and down? Like, like, <laughs> like who are you talking to, bro? Like, really? <laughs> and he laughs and he goes, no, you know what I mean. I go, yeah. I go, I'm good, man. I, I, don't, I don't need to jump out of an airplane on purpose. I'm super cool about that. And I know no interest in plummeting today. Yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, and he, uh, he laughs. And he says, uh, I thought you're Mr. Fear Management. And I said to him, well, I am managing my fear by not jumping out of the airplane. <laughs> That's outstanding. I'm with you. And, and, and he laughs like you, but he says other buddies there. He laughs, but he doesn't laugh like ha, 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 ha. It's more like, <laughs> and I could tell from his You can feel his smugness in there. <laughs> well, no, I could tell from his body language, Byron, that he didn't like skydiving. Now I know because they're in the same unit that they both skydive because you can't be in this unit if you can't skydive. Uh-huh. This is now 
really what I'm sharing with your audience is that, that there are people who don't have fear for certain things uh-huh. and get good at a skill set. And there are people who have fear and get good at a skill set. And yeah. if, I, if I extrapolate a little bit more and, and, and unwrap this a little bit more, I looked at the guy who asked me to go skydiving and I said, hey, you have no fear? He goes, no, man, I love, I love skydiving. I go almost every weekend. I got over 600 jumps. I go whenever I can. And uh, I said, no fear at all. He goes, no. I go, well, let me pack your shoot for you. He goes, you're not coming anywhere near my fucking shoot. <laughs> I looked at him. I go, is that fear I hear? Right. And he's like, what? I go, if I touched your shoot and I said, hey, I don't know how to fold a T-shirt, but I packed your shoot for you. Would you double check it? He goes, fuck yeah. Like, well, why would you check it? Because of fear. You want to make sure it's okay. And so the message here is this, that a professional who trains a lot, uh-huh. stress inoculates to fear. And when they stress inoculate to fear, they don't react or respond or describe it the same way as an untrained person. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the untrained person might go, man, I'm shitting my pants. But the trained operator is doing his box breathing and he's relaxing. Oh, and, and if you and if you look at him and you go, are you afraid? He goes, no, man, just get ready for the jump. Yeah. He's really afraid. He just doesn't realize he's adapted to the ritual before the event. Yeah. Um, and I share this with people and I leave them with this thought. I think it's really potent that you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Right. It doesn't count. <laughs> like, like if you have a death wish, if you're an adrenaline junkie or whatever, then you're not brave. You're just doing what you wanted to do. Right. That when we look at, think about how subtle this is. When you look at courageous behavior, you need to understand that inside of courage, there was somebody managing their fear that you can't be brave if you're not afraid. If somebody, you know, in that, I was just talking to, to one of my guys who's down at Fort Bragg right now. And uh, we were talking about this. And I said to him, listen, when we talk about the cycle behavior, the neural circuitry field, we've got the fear loop, we've got the duress path, we've got the, the, the flow go, green go. I go, if, you, you know, if you're out on a patrol and suddenly you take sniper rounds and everyone fucking flinches and ducks, right? now you're in the fear loop. You're like, oh, fuck, right? And I go, if you're sticking your head up looking for where it's coming from, is there a thought of like, I hope I'm going to get shot in the face right now. This would suck. Like even yeah. if like, that's the direct no, thoughts for sure going through your head. Like right. you're yeah. like, tr- you're visualizing this guy aiming at you and it's right. driving your behavior to not get shot. <laughs> so that's what we call the duress path. Yeah. You don't just, and so people go, I go, hey, like I'll ask guys when I'm, when I'm teaching our fear management to military law enforcement SWAT, I go, what do you do if you're caught in an ambush and people answer immediate action drill. I go, what do you do before immediate action? They go, nothing. We do immediate action. I go, so rounds come whizzy by you. You throw yourself to the ground. You spin offline. You charge a threat. Yes, sir. No, you don't. <laughs> you how jump. Do, you startle. Do, you get behind cover. And so and it took me years to deconstruct this to be able to save people. The first thing you do is what I told you the human weapon system does. A stimulus gets introduced too quickly. There's a startle flinch. So I've had guys in tier one units that I'm teaching this to, and they're like, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden, like on day two, they're like, holy shit. You know, uh, yeah, I got shot in the head, but I turned, I heard the rounds, they hit somewhere over here. I flinched 
and it hit my helmet this way. But had I been standing up, that would have hit me in the face. And then done. I didn't understand why it hit me. Another guy, you know, uh, you know, getting shot right through his arm when rounds came from uh, uh, on top of a building, realizing that he never understood because he was he was you know carrying his long gun like this. He didn't understand how he got shot through the bottom of the forearm until yeah. going through the class where we realized that your hand. So it, it's, it's the system isn't teaching you how to not be ambushed. It's teaching you how to convert the flinch and recover and get back in the fight sooner. So it's this intersection of the reptilian brain, the limbic system, the amygdala, and the executive function of the cognitive brain coming together to work together to fucking solve a problem. Keep That's how fucking deep that is. Yeah. Wow. That's what's up, man. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's all, most of it, so much of it is already hardwired into us, which is what I really dig about kind of the that's, whole entire. That's why, it just, that's why I tell people it's the fastest system to learn because you don't have to do like years to like, like I'm not going to teach you how to flinch. Just, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not going to teach you how to flinch. I can teach yeah. you how to weaponize the flinch, you know? Okay. And I mean, is it like a full, this was a half hour answer to you saying, how do you teach a civilian? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, I never sure. fucking answered that. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, you, we got a lot out of the whole entire situation. No, I dig it. That's, that's, that's what I was saying, man. There's so many layers. You got so much texture in there from being around the block. So many, <laughs> so many times. The, the short answer is this. I can take a tier one operator and someone with no training and uh, run through a one day class and we actually do this. Okay. In certain classes, there's certain drills we do, which I can't demo or describe on, on a podcast, but right. there's a series of live drills we do. And in every class, we stop that class. And they're in the, everyone's in the throw of like this startle flinch convert, and they're moving force on force with each other. And I stop the class and I go, everyone look, I, I yell freeze. And everyone like freezes. And I go, look around. Do you know who's a black belt? Who's a boxer? who's got prior military or who's here for their first day. And the answer across the room is no. Because yeah. we're not teaching people technique. And listen, those of you listening here- Organic fighting. That's martial artists, you know, trainers. I am not, a lot of people are selective listeners so they think I'm putting down technique. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the, 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 the fascia, the connective tissue in this metaphor has to be startle flinch conversion. Can I weaponize the startle flinch? Because in a true ambush, this happens. Michael, oh, yeah. you know, and, and it just makes people safer. Now, if you build skills on top of that, you're 10x your, your survivability factor, right? But right. you're not, Absolutely. not going to get surprised and download a, cog, a complex motor skill. Your body in a surprise attack always defaults to primal gross motor skill, which is right. why we come back to, I asked you, you look at thousands of dashboard videos and CCTV of sudden violent encounters. You yeah. don't, you don't see anyone moving. Cool. You because don't see cool. any range katas. You don't because see it's all, any, yeah, it's all primal gross motor. 100%. And I, I, I mean, I post those things all the, all the time and it's always right. highly dynamic, athletic, uh, non-form looking, <laughs> just people trying to survive really. Right. So imagine, yeah. imagine if a layer, the foundational layer, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Layer was primal gross motor uh, um, uh, uh, training, exploration. What does my body want to do prior to our thesis statement? I wrote this in 1988. What does your body want to do prior to any training? 
does that have a protective application? If so, why aren't you using that? Yeah. We bypass that when we go, hey, give me a headlock. Right? Absolutely. What we need to do is we need to merge stuff. And then the toolbox you develop will always resonate with your personality. There are people who go, like, in every single fight online, there's always somebody who says, that's why I carry. There's always somebody who says, you got to learn jujitsu. There's always somebody that says, you got to learn Krav Maga. There's always somebody that says, that's why I carry a knife. Mm-hmm. These are your biases. Right. Your blind right? spots, really. Right. They, well, they can become a blind spot if just if it just so happens that the, 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 the method and toolbox you chose put you in more danger. You get jumped by one guy and you go, I'll just pull guard and then I'll fucking mount him and choke him out. And you don't realize that he jumped out of his car. You jumped out of your car. You double legged him, but you didn't realize he had three other people in the car. And now you're on the ground and they're kicking the the you. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I love grappling and people hate when I give that example. <laughs> you know, even Hoist Gracie and Hickson, they'll say, hey, mm. you don't want to be doing this against multiple assailants. Mm. You know, like, so. This comes back to that quote I shared earlier, careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. That's about understanding neuroscience. Because if you train too much, the myelination of that myelin sheath, which is that that helps speed up the communication of the neurotransmitter, can hijack you to do the thing you didn't think you were going to do. In theory, I would say, you know, so I've had students, I did a, 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 a IGTV about this, one of my mm-hmm. students got the shit kicked out of him, got mugged, was pissing blood, asleep for 24 hours. Man. Back back in like 1985 or 86. Uh-huh. His name was Gary. All Gary did at the gym was practice high kicks. He was fascinated with getting the splits, high kicks. And I I was running a street defense place. The name, okay. of, the name of my school was Functional Combative Training. You know, mm. and, and uh, this is in the 80s. And uh, sounds modern, <laughs> right. sounds like something you'd see now, right? Right, you know. So, um, so this is like 1985 ish, and Gary, that's when I was born. Nice, thanks, dude. <laughs> I just couldn't resist, I'm, man. Dude, I, I was at a uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Carlsbad PD hosted us. Uh-huh. And I'm in there, and there's 40 students in the class, and I come in to talk. I've got my team teaching, and I, I don't, I've got a whole like MTT now. And I'll go to certain courses, and I'll go and talk, and I'll go to conferences and whatever. Okay. But I spend most of my time training trainers. Yeah. Um, I go in because I live like 10 minutes away. I go in to say hi. I'm answering to a little Q&A. And then this cop at the back of the room, I go, hey, we got time for one more question, and you guys got to do some more work. And he goes, I go, yes, sir. He goes, oh, Mr. Blair, I just want to say, uh, like, thank you so much. When I was 16, I bought your panic attack tapes from Panther, and I was watching you back then, and I knew I wanted to be a cop right then, and I can't believe I'm meeting you now, and I'm learning your system. And I'm like, I just want to say thank you. And I go, you were 16, dude? I said, sit the fuck down, motherfucker. <laughs> just gave me more gray hair. Thank you. I didn't realize that. So it was pretty but Thank you for telling me how old you were, Byron. Or yeah. Were um, That's awesome. But – but so Gary, I would always say to him, so we would always do street stuff. So all our kick, uh-huh. all our kicks were low line, headbutts, elbows, eye gouge, all that shit. But Gary in between shit was always trying to kick. Trying to get his leg kicks in when he can. <laughs> and I would say to him, do you remember Benny Urquidez, Benny the Jet Urquidez? Do you know that name? Uh-huh. He's a legendary kickboxer. Okay. And, uh, um, but I, I met Benny 
back in like 1980 when I first came out for interview in Black Belt Magazine and um, spending some time with him. And he said, what you practice is what you'll do. And what you practice is what you do. And he was talking about, without realizing it, muscle memory, which doesn't exist. Now, years later, neuroscience says muscle memory doesn't exist in the technical term, but there is this thing called the myelin sheath. And when you myelinate it, you develop what people think is muscle memory. And what that does is it hijacks you. So if you practice something over and over again. So Gary, I said, I would always repeat, because there was no neuroscience back in the 80s talking about this. There was no MRI. So I would always quote Ben Urquidez. I'd say, Gary, what you practice is what you do. That means that in a sudden moment, when somebody fucking moves Moves on on you, you're going to step back and rake that leg up and fucking he tag goes, him. He goes, no, I won't coach. I'll kick him. Like I'll kick him in the nuts. I'll side kick the knee. I'll do the shin kick to the leg. I go, you do this so much more that your body's going to want to do that. And, yeah. and I demoed it a couple of times on a bag with him where, where he's moving in front of the bag and I would call shit out. I go jab, jab, cross, whatever it was. And then, and then I would go, uh, you know, uh, you know, round kick to the head, shoot me, throw it. Round kick to the stomach, round, shoot. I go, shin kick, shoot. and it would go up like, like sternum, because he couldn't, his just, just body. Do the low kick. So, like, literally, the next week after I gave him shit, he gets jumped by two guys at, like, one in the morning, mm. and and he makes every mistake you can possibly make. I t- We teach a system. Some real stress. It was some good yeah. stress. But I tell people, listen, we have this Trojan horse metaphor that you never let the bad guy know you know anything about confrontation management. Okay. You don't, you don't go, hey, man, I won't get into this. I'm packing. I'm carrying. You don't take a stance. You don't. It's always like, well, well what do you need? Like, and, and obviously. Ambush. Attack the attacker. But the Trojan horse metaphor is the last guy that should know that you know anything about protecting yourself is the guy you're about to hit. Right. So, so. So we practice all these nonviolent postures. We practice all this verbal de-escalation stuff. And then we practice this, this notion of closest weapon, closest target. And um, what Gary does, these guys start to approach him. He senses he's being followed. And he turns around and he goes, hey, guys, can I help you? And they move slowly and they go, uh, yeah, man. They're in, and you can tell he's, it's fucking he's too about to ha- He's about to go down, man. But they go down. And he slips into a stance and he goes, guys, <laughs> guys, Let's not do this. So he's just betrayed the element of surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it, Gary. (laughs) And then they move in slowly. So here's the idea is when when Gary adopted a stance, I always tell people this. If you take a stance first and the bad guy knows that you know that he knows and now you know that he knows and he knows it now. If he's still there, this is going to be a more dangerous fight. (laughs) Everyone's got their adrenaline going. Mm Mm-hmm. So he does that. They move slowly. They're encroaching him. And the, the first thing he does, how do I find out about this? Yeah. He, he doesn't show up for his private lesson the next day. So I call him and I leave a message. I call, <laughs> I, I call his buddy, John. I go, John, where the fuck's Gary? And yeah, I, yeah. He goes, he wasn't in school today. I go, what? 24 hours later, he calls me. He goes, coach, apologize for missing my lesson, but I slept for 24 hours. I'm pissing blood. I got mugged. I got the shit kicked out of me. I started yeah. laughing hysterically. <laughs> I'm super close to all my students, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They don't bow to me. They don't call me sensei. They're like coach or Tony. Yeah. He goes, he goes, coach, uh, sorry I missed it. I got mugged. 
Because we have a policy, if you miss your lesson, you pay. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't waste so, your time. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm literally laughing. How Gary, dude, that sounded. <laughs> I literally said to him, I go, dude, that sounded so real. I believe you. But here's the thing. I would tell you this. I almost want to credit you this because that is the best excuse to tell yourself defense instructor. To tell yourself defense instructor that you were mugged is like, yeah. ultimate, I can't even like so creative, man, but fuck you, you're still. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. He goes, no, seriously, I was mugged. I'm like, okay, like enough with the joke. He goes, no. Uh, and he tells me the story. And the first thing he does when they stepped inside that reactionary gap, he yeah. back, fucking kicked the guy in the head, his hands came up, hit him in the forearms, his buddy stepped in, fucking drilled him to the body. Uh. And they, they both had steel toe construction boots on, kicked the crap out of him. Uh. Anyways, I share that story because listen, <laughs> you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can do all the right stuff, but, and this isn't ego, this is, I explain to people, that's why I keep hamper, uh, hammering, mm-hmm. practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. That's not a put down of what you're doing. It's in a, in a, in a, crisis situation a sudden violent encounter where things are happening so fast your survival system is going to try to hijack executive function if you explore that in training you will create a more harmonious relationship between cognitive brain reactive brain and you're going to come out on the other side more effective that's that's the the philosophical premise of what we do the way we do scenario training Outstanding. So basically, I guess in, lay, in, a, in a layman or another terminology, it's you really need to try to, uh, you can maybe try to make your reactions a little bit more intelligent and effective, essentially. And then your, uh, you know, the higher, you know, your more intelligent systems of like martial arts and all the, those other things can be a tool, but it's probably going to be able to be applied after the initial yeah. You got, to weather, you got to weather the ambush. So remember I said earlier, I gave weather you like, the ambush. Airbag, That's it. You, like the airbag metaphor. Oh yeah. So, Boom. Yeah. So you could have, I, I give this analogy and I'll share it with you because it's kind of a cool one. You have the best person in the world, whoever your favorite jujitsu guy is, he's sitting in a souped up car on a starting line and he's got this, this and he's there mm-hmm, and the windows are down and he's the badass of jujitsu beside mm-hmm. him is the badass of MMA. The badass of Taekwondo, the badass of Thai boxing, the badass of left wing, the badass of boxing. And every one of them, if you ask them who would win a fight, what are they all going to say? Me. Because that's our unconscious bias. Right. They're all there. Mm, they all have the same fucking, their, their cars are muscle cars. So their cars in shape. Right. Fucking good torque, good transmissions, good tires. They're all there like this. They're waiting for the lights to go because they're going to fucking show you who's, who's the fastest, who's the strongest, who's got the best reflexes. And of course, drag racing is illegal. So we're out in some public area. And then all of a sudden, an 18-wheeler truck coming over a highway falls asleep at the wheel while he's texting and runs into everybody at the same time. So you have all of these amazing styles sitting there like this going, all of a sudden they hear what the fuck? They see the 18 wheeler. What do they all do at the same time as this truck crashes into every car? They all do this, Byron. Fuck. <laughs> Everybody, every single body. Right. The jujitsu guy, you know, doesn't, doesn't pull guard on the steering wheel. The Taekwondo guy doesn't do a sidekick. The, the Shotokan guy doesn't do a rising block. They all go fuck. And they try to cover their head. Yeah. You know, 
and anybody who doesn't get that doesn't want to get that metaphor. What unites us all during sudden violence is the startle flinch. If we weaponize the startle flinch like an airbag deploying, it covers the head and then it expands towards the threat so that the steering wheel or part of the engine doesn't crush us. It pushes away danger. If we learn how to weaponize that, then when we get back in the expression we use in our system, when we're emotionally and psychologically in control of ourselves and physically dominating our threat, then we open our toolbox and we choke that fucker out. And then we get to work. That guy or we knee him or we contact shoot him or whatever. We threat discriminate based on the danger we perceive, but you can't do that until you weather the ambush. Um, man, that's good. I couldn't even, I mean, my questions aren't even good enough to get to this place. That's good, man. Whether I love this shit. (laughs) Dude, every week I get an email from somebody. Yeah. Like, dude, this, uh, whether it saved my life last night or changed my life, we get really, we we get people who I got a, a private message from a cop the other day going, you know, he's reading my newsletter and, you know, yeah, of shit to understand fear management the fear loop and he goes dude i caught myself in the fear loop the other day and i never thought that i had that and then i realized i did and i realized that when so when you're in the fear loop you're not situationally aware you're you're like getting channelized yeah when you're in the fear loop, you're like fuck what's that like there's a moment where you you suddenly just stop everything just stops for a nano moment or uh, notice something but if you don't cultivate self-awareness you're in the fear loop longer. Ah, so, you so as, as a metaphor, that you can wake up. Metaphor, if I have to go in a room and I stop and I go, fuck. Like, like if you've done, like, do you remember your live training with the fatal funnel where every, every new shoe yeah. pops in freeze up. the door? Well, what is yeah, that? Don't freeze in the door. You can get whatever fucking name you want. It's the fear loop. It's the moment <laughs> you know, if I step through that door, I have doubt. I don't know if I'm going to get shot or if I'm going to make the right decision and shoot right. a hostage or what, there's doubt, there's fear, because Aye. whether it's performance anxiety or not, and you're using UTM or SIMS or whatever, it doesn't matter. So what I do is as a fear management specialist, I help trainers. Um, I equip them with tools to mentor their recruits or in service. I help people design uh, safer scientific scenario based training. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scope of things that our company does now, you know. Yeah. It's super. I, you could hopefully you can tell how you know <laughs> how deep later, in it. Forty three years later, man, I'm I'm more excited about what we do than I've ever been, and I've always. Heck been. yeah! Well, it just seems like you have so many more tools, you know, with the just the, the years of whipping it on. So I guess in closing here, uh, closing questions. What would you say about? Being an instructor, since you've been a lifelong instructor for people that are listening and they're going to try to walk that line, what, would, what advice would you give them? Yeah, don't show your student what you can do. Show your student what they can do. Ooh. That's, 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 a, that's the first slide on our keynote in our trainer's course. Ooh. Don't show your student what you can do. Show your student what they can do. This class exists for your student, not for you. Not for you to show them what you learned, to pull a rabbit out of a hat, to juggle, to choke somebody out, to punch somebody in the face. This isn't like 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 a show and tell. Yeah. Okay. This is like <laughs> your job as a trainer is to enhance the survivability of your students. My biggest thing is is uh in in is training trainers. The trainer to awesome. me to me, the trainer is the most important person in 
in defensive tactics, in combatives, in protective services, because the student goes in there as a sponge and they're either learning intelligent ways to think and problem solve or they're not, you know, uh, um, and, and, uh, you know, we went in, I don't know if you remember asymmetric warfare. Uh, uh, it was, uh, it was a, a group in the army, but you know, we, I trained them for, for over a decade, but we went in there and they developed that rolled out through the Pentagon, a program called outcomes based training, which was originally based on our principle that training needs to be Socratic, that you need to teach people how to solve problems that I introduced the principle of metacognition, that it's not just, this isn't the answer to the problem that that there's an emotional psychological factor in in how somebody learns something and does something yeah and, and they took that and applied that to their their shooting program and their scenario program and we had an amazing you know every year i'd work with them for the last 12 years heck yeah that's awesome i think there's a huge conversation to be had about this fluid intelligence versus crystallized intelligence on all this stuff man that that uh I was interviewing uh, Craig Douglas, who's who's uh, we're going to do some stuff with the Protector Symposium. He was solid, and he said he's an adaptation. That that was one of the things that he was talking about. And I'm like, man, this is so valuable, man, because the ability to adapt to these things that are coming at you in life or in a dynamic situation is really, I think, one of the highest forms of intelligence. <laughs> you know. We, it just is. It's it's so it important. It's, it's it's uh you know, um hopefully this coronavirus lifts soon and we get back to regular life. Right. Otherwise this next statement will, will um date date us, but that adaptation is everything. That's that's the whole really principle of, that's the whole principle of metacognition and and what we're teaching is that you know if you know A and C, you'll figure out B. But if you only know A and something else happens, you might go this way, you might go that way. You know, you've got, you've got to have uh, um, like a, a, a very dynamic, fluid way to look at things. Plastic. And, and, and I tell people, I come back to everything at the end of the day, it comes yeah. back to, you, you, you comes back to managing fear. You can't be adaptive if you don't manage fear. At the core of everything, even, so, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff out there, but I think the thing that unites all of us is the reason we flinch is because we're afraid we're about to get crushed, right? We're about right. To get shot, stabbed, run over by a truck. So yeah. there's there's this there's this I believe intelligent exploration necessary for all good humans to understand that link between emotional psychological fear. And, and what that does to the body. And so that's actually the thesis statement of the spear system. Uh, that is, it's a study of human movement as it relates to violence, fear, and aggression. So it's oh. not a martial art. It's not a, we don't teach techniques. We teach tools, tactics, and targets. Oh, awesome. What would you say is a, uh, well, how would you like to be remembered, Tony? Oh, wow. Yeah, um, it's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah I don't, love these questions. I, you know what? I like, I'm always reinventing myself. Yeah. So, so for me to answer that truthfully is, is almost, a, you know, like I'd like to be remembered as a, now I, I, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to improve who I am today 
and try to be better tomorrow. So, yeah. so, you know, um, I mean, if people just re remember me as a guy who, who was all about honesty and transparency and my focus was on making people safer, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's all I've lived for. And I, and I abhor violence. It's a, uh, it's a counterintuitive thing about me is mm -hmm. when people go, Oh, this fight, I, most people, I get sent so much shit that I never even open. I don't need mm -hmm. to look at, you know, someone getting murdered, someone yeah. getting their head cut off, someone. And hey, did you look at that video I sent you? No, I didn't. Check it out, man. Good pre-contact cues. Good. No, no, I have the system. I know what it is. I don't need to look at another victim. It abhors me, disgusts me. Mm. And because violence disgusts me so much, I studied it. So mm. I could I could hopefully save one other person or more from experiencing that. Wow. That's good, man. There's a lot that you answered that question from in a, from a few different angles there. I think, man, it's a man who wanted to make the world a safer place, but understanding violence, you know, understanding what he abhors, you know, yeah. Um, and then a man who's always, you know, just trying to be better than he was yesterday and give his best, which I I find a common thread with a lot of the um, amazing people that spend time with me here. Is there's that seems to be a unifying theme, man. I think. And I think it's my my kind of most righteous way to try to live, really, just to do your stinking best and try to get better and help other people on the stinking way, man. That just you 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 don't get to evolve if you're not doing that. So right you know, by by default, you know, like like it'd be interesting, but you're probably not going to, you know, drive up to L.A. and in and and interview some homeless hobo. <laughs> no, <Right? laughs> no, I have no interest. Right, right. Like, dude, tell us your 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 morning ritual. Like, what do you do? Like to, right? Yeah. And I'm not making fun of homeless people. Some no. of them, some of them, fucking, all of them have it rough. But but some of them had bad luck, and they're fucking there. Yeah, but it's and, a valid point. I totally see your point. So, but in other words, like, if you invite someone on your show, you're going. This person will add value to my audience, but it's because that person has continued to work on themselves and they on got to level. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having, having the time to come and hang and talk with us. I hope we can do a lot of some more things in the future too, with, with yeah. the protector symposiums coming up and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I can help out, man. Heck yeah. It's been an honor. Thank you. What are you up to these days? Where can people find you? Well, I'm quarantined and I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, we just stood up a new website called No Fear Now, K N O W Fear okay. A R Now, and it and it's all our online stuff. So I've been doing online stuff for a long time. We've got a program called No Fear, which is a ninety minute digital version of the live workshop I used to do. Um, we we're doing stuff for uh, different groups, law enforcement, firefighters, where. Like I call in on Zoom and I'm, I'm getting like a whole team on there because a lot of them are dealing with with different levels of stress and they may not want to call it fear. But so I do workshops on resilience and mindset and and, and adaptive courage and how to look at things, uh, getting really good feedback on that. Uh, and then we also stood up this course, this two hour course, which, uh, you know, some people who train don't get they because their unconscious bias sees it as competing with going to a martial arts school a two-hour class of course does not replace your martial art, your martial art you know? yeah. but 
But I always tell people like, if you take a tactical first aid, stop the bleed class, you know, four hours later, you know, to put on a tourniquet, do CPR, mouth to mouth, you've got life-saving skills, but after four hours, you're not a fucking doctor. So don't confuse, don't confuse like a CPR course with like going to med school. So I tell people, look, like we do these BR on bodyguard courses and these essentials of personal safety courses. And I, I'm, I'm defensive about this because it fucking pisses me off out there. You, if you have an, an adverse reaction to that, don't be part of the problem. Imagine a doctor walking into a first aid course mm-hmm. run by a paramedic going, you guys are a joke. This is fucking bullshit. I went to med school to... Don't confuse what we're doing. Detect, defuse, yeah. defend. Anybody can learn that super quickly. Understanding how to push away danger and weaponize a startle flinch. Anybody can learn that quickly. So we're teaching people skills that aren't taught in school and we live in uncertain times. And even if there wasn't a pandemic and, and this fear, this is a good course for anybody. Just yeah. be, how to be how to understand situational awareness beyond the Zen fortune cookies that most people throw around. Head on a swivel, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's here's, here's, some, here's some practical advice, right? <laughs> so, um, anyway, so those are the things. So No Fear Now uh, is uh, is the website that has all our digital shit, you know, uh, but anyone can Google me if they want to, you know, um, Twitter's where I post political shit. Instagram is where I rant. And uh, I got a bunch of sites there. But if you just, you can just spear system, Tony Blower, you'll find lots of, lots of stuff. Outstanding. Okay. When will send me whatever links to, and we'll just throw them in the article and everybody can go and hang it after it. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for this time. It's been awesome. It was a head trip. We didn't even touch my, we didn't even for you guys, just so you guys know, we didn't even touch my, my questions. My questions were inadequate. (laughs) He just got on a roll. I I hijacked the call. Yeah, man. That was great. Took me on a journey. So, all right, brother, we'll we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks. Likewise. All right. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Ballistic Theory. You're going to start seeing a lot of stuff with me in Ballistic Theory because they got good ammo for good prices. Use Byron for my discount with those guys as well. Last but not least, Executive Protection Institute. Hey, go check them out and get your executive protection education on. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. Out. Boom.